I will tell you this. When I'm elected president of the United States, I am shipping water from New Jersey <laughs> to the White House. I am shipping water from New Jersey because I cannot drink the water down there. From WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, it's the Christie Tracker. This president could care less about building relationships with the other side. Put me in the ring against Vladimir Putin, we'll do just fine. When I need to stand up, I will. And my approach is not to burn the place down. My approach is to build the place back up. I'm David First. Coming up, we'll address reports of dwindling support for Governor Christie's presidential campaign among New Jersey Republicans with State Assembly Minority Leader John Bramnick. Right now, though, Matt Katz is here to talk about campaign finances, the green stuff, money, and how much Christie is generating. Matt covers Governor Christie for New Jersey Public Radio and WNYC. Welcome back. Thank you, David. The first fundraising reports from the campaign came out, and I heard different things about how Christie did in the last few days. Uh, Christie's campaign said they were pleased about how much money they had. Uh, Pundits said it was a disappointing haul. What's the deal? It's what you would expect from someone who is now clearly a second-tier candidate. You know, the, the amount of money he brought in was seventh in the field for the, the quarter that just ended for uh, July through September. These are the first fundraising reports we've seen so far from his campaign. And he had uh, the seventh most money, which makes sense, I guess, for a guy who's seventh, eighth, ninth place in the polls. Uh, he had $1.4 million in cash on hand. That's what he has now. He raised a little over $4.1 million. And that means, I'm told, that he can make it and survive in this thing based on the amount of money he's burned, based on the amount of money he's raising. He can survive into the New Hampshire primary in February. If he's focused on campaigning in New Hampshire, that doesn't have to cost a ton of money, does it? No. Uh, He needs money to get there on the plane. He needs money to stay at the uh, Holiday Inn. He needs money to pay his staff on the ground. I mean, that's really where most of this money goes to. It's to pay uh, for the staff that they have in New Jersey, New Hampshire, and Iowa. He's got about 30 staff members In total, to give you a little point of comparison, Hillary Clinton has over 500. Um, So they don't need a lot of money, they say. They are going to get their message out through town hall meetings, and um, they think they can go from there. But, you know, it's still not great news. I mean, you you would want, ideally, to surprise people with your fundraising numbers. You don't want to show that you have even less money than... Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina. What about the Christie Super PAC? Does that affect anything? What kind of money uh, do they have? The latest information we have from them is that they had $11 million as of July. They cannot pay for Christie's hotel, his travel and whatnot. What you're really going to see them spend whatever money they have left on is in the closing weeks of the campaign on television advertising. Uh, That's going to be a huge deal, and that's really where you're going to see them active. Um, The campaign itself needs money to continue to have a ground operation. It's interesting. Part of what the campaign did after this fundraising report came out was to send a email out to supporters from Mike Duhame, the campaign strategist. And it seemed to be rebranding this operation as lean and mean. That was the uh, subject line. We had an incredible quarter, he said, and he asked for money. 
as little as $5. And I've seen a lot of these um, emails from his campaign asking for as little as $5. I got to tell you, there is no semblance of any of these small dollar contributions, the kind of small dollar contributions that are fueling like the Bernie Sanders campaign, the small dollar contributions that made Barack Obama in 2008 such a phenomenon. That is not happening at all, despite an effort by the campaign to uh, reach out to people to get as little money as possible. Most of this money, most of their donations average in the uh, plus $1,000 range. Matt, let's pause for a second and, and take a look at this moment in the campaign. It is my professional opinion that now is the time to panic. We can't have anyone freak out out there, okay? We've got to keep our composure. We've come too far! Sheriff, this is no time to panic. This is the perfect time to panic! Clearly it's a good thing Woody and Buzz Lightyear don't work for Christie, but is there panic breaking out in Campaign Central? You know, holy cow, we have no money, we're polling around 1%. I saw Rand Paul ahead of us in one poll. Is that the, the tone? You know, I'm not in those private meetings. Obviously, the, the spin that they give you is that they feel good about it, that they are have enough money coming in, that the favorable ratings, even though nothing is really showing in the polls. He's literally moved nowhere since he announced June 30th, but his favorability ratings have taken a near 30-point swing from mostly unfavorable to mostly favorable, and that's supposedly a precursor to actual good poll numbers, to actually people supporting you for president. They also like to talk about the fact that, hey, you know, most people in New Hampshire don't make the decision about who their candidate is until January, until the month before the election. So they're harping on that. Speaking on CNN back in August, uh, once again confronted with these questions about low poll numbers, Christie brought up another poll. You know, there was a recent poll in New Hampshire that said 85 percent of the people have not yet decided. Well, then the poll is about 15 percent of the people. I mean, you know, it's time to take a deep breath, okay? We have a lot of work to do. Everybody has a lot of work to do. What that poll tells you more than anything else is that this race is completely unsettled, that the American people and the Republican primary voters have not gotten anywhere near making a decision. Uh, And so it's my job to go out there and convince them. As we speed toward February and the New Hampshire primary, is that still the mantra? It's early. Lots of people haven't made up their minds. The mantra is still, yes, that the most people will make up their minds in the last month. And the mantra is, I've been to New Hampshire twice as many days as, for example, Marco Rubio. Uh, but now you're also hearing other things that sound somewhat more desperate. They, they talk about how, you know, all these numbers are within the margin of error. And what they say really is, what, what if you read between the lines of their spin, what they're saying is Donald Trump is winning, everybody else is losing, and there's no first loser. Everybody else is sort of fighting amongst themselves. And that's kind of true. I mean, it does seem like unless Trump on his own volition or because of some other outside force really starts to collapse, which there's no, no real indication of, unless Trump collapses, then nobody else has a shot. And once, if and when Trump were to collapse, then I guess anything could happen. New Jersey Public Radio's Matt Katz. Thanks again. Thank you, David. This is the Christie Tracker Podcast. I'm David First. It's another week closer to the New Hampshire primary and another week with sobering numbers for the Christie campaign to consider. 
And according to a Rutgers-Eagleton poll released last week, Governor Christie is also losing significant support among Republicans here at home in New Jersey. We're joined by State Assembly Minority Leader John Bramnick, a Republican and an ally of Chris Christie. Welcome. Great to be with you. This Rutgers-Eagleton poll says that Christie no longer has any home state advantage. Why is that? If you watch the national channels, including the cables, they focus on Donald Trump and they focus on Ben Carson. You know, we're not immune to the media. So when you focus in on these so-called, let's say, um, media stars and they get all the attention, that's the result. And the minute Chris Christie gets more time and and the media focuses on him, then he picks up the points. You have endorsed uh, Governor Christie's run for president. Uh, You said, we deserve a leader like Chris Christie who puts New Jersey on the map. Why endorse his run? And is he still putting New Jersey on the map? In a good way. I have watched Chris Christie now since he came to Trenton six and a half years ago. Trenton's a tough place. I didn't see any reforms until Governor Christie came down to Trenton. I didn't see anybody willing to take on the tough issues such as property tax cap, arbitration reform, tenure issues. He took on issues that you couldn't even discuss in the hallway in Trenton. The fact of the matter is the Democrats have no longer cooperated with Governor Christie And that makes it more difficult for him to continue his reform agenda. But let me tell you, I've been in politics quite a while, and I don't think I've seen anybody as tough and as strong as he is. This is one special guy. The fact that he was up in the polls at 70 percent and then down in the polls, that's not how I judge candidates. All right, let's talk about Republicans in the legislature. A general election is just weeks away uh, for assembly members. And I want to ask you about the governor's unbroken streak of having... None of his veto was overridden by the legislature. I vetoed over 400 bills as governor of New Jersey. I vetoed the most bills of any governor in New Jersey history in six years. And everybody else who had eight. And every one of those vetoes has been sustained. Every one. They've tried to override 52 of them. They're over 52. Even when uh, the original bill may have passed with overwhelming support from Democrats and Republicans, nearly no Republican ever stands up to override a veto. Well, most of this is political maneuvering by the Democrats. It's important, in my judgment, when you have a governor of your party to try to compromise. Compromise is not a bad idea, and that's what we do. When we see a bill where the governor vetoes, we support it, we try to sit down at the table and work that out. But that's not the problem with this state. The problem is not an override of a veto. The problem is that people are leaving here because it's too expensive, and the Democrats have been in charge, and no one has called them out on their record. Not one person in the media has really called them out. If you've been in charge of the legislature for 14 years and you've made this state the most debt-ridden state in the country, you'll take any distraction you can get and you can argue about veto overrides and this specific bill. Fix the job. Do your job. Fix the problems around the state and knock off the politics. It's a tough one for a lot of people to wrap their heads around, though, the unbroken streak of absolutely no overrides. And I was wondering, should you jump up at some point and say, I voted with my heart the first time. I still believe that now. I'm going to vote to override. When the Democrats who've been in charge for 14 years come to the table and start continuing the reforms to make our state affordable, reducing property taxes, and start to discuss the real issues that face our state uh, and less about the politics of an override, I'm happy to sit down with them 
and talk about some of the lesser issues that they want to grandstand on uh, for political purposes. Let's talk about one of those uh, big issues facing the state then, uh, the issue about what to do about the Transportation Trust Fund. This is the fund used to repair roads and bridges, infrastructure in the state. The governor says it's not in crisis. Seemingly everyone else says it is. Will there be any progress on how to fund the Transportation Trust Fund while Governor Christie is in office? Another one of my favorite questions. For 13 years, the Democrats, and and in this case, John Wisniewski, who's in charge of the Transportation Committee, had an opportunity to put a bill up, pass it. They've got 48 votes. They had a Democratic governor. Silence. Now, all of a sudden, it's Chris Christie's fault. Truth of the matter is, where was their solution? Actually, tomorrow, they've got 41 votes to pass a bill to fix the Transportation Trust Fund. But they blame the governor, they, they blame me, they blame the minority, blame everybody except what they haven't done for 14 years. I don't get it. Uh, we're happy to talk to them about it, but why should we have to convince the majority to do their work? What is the solution here moving forward? Whatever happened in the past? If I was the speaker tomorrow, I'd put a global bill together, which would address the revenue issue in the transportation front. And, and, front, and I didn't say anything about being totally against any increase in the gas tax as long as you lock the box in a constitutional amendment. But on the other hand, I want some reduction in some other taxes. So people in New Jersey think maybe we're making some headway in the other direction. All we've done is told people, because of the Democratic majority for 14 years, the only thing to do is raise taxes. I want some tax fairness. The governor wants some tax fairness. And I can tell you right now, if you want to increase a tax, send some other message to the people in New Jersey. Increasingly open to this idea of of raising the gas tax? I'm not increasingly open. I'm open, but you don't do it in a vacuum. Uh, there, There are monies being spent in this state. And the Bipartisan Pension Commission, led by Democrats as well as Republicans, talked about reducing some of the costs in in our health care payments, and that could be $3 billion. You just don't simply say, I see nothing except a tax increase. It hasn't worked, and it's made the state more and more unaffordable. It has to be a global discussion. If we were the board of directors of this company, we would know that we need to be competitive. So it can't be isolated discussion. Is Governor Christie going to be campaigning for New Jersey Republicans? Election Day for the General Assembly is just a few weeks away, November 3rd. Governor Christie is out of state more than he's in state. Is he going to be out on the trail for New Jersey Republicans? The answer is yes. He's been vitally important to our campaign. Uh, He's raised money. We've done events uh, in many parts of the state to raise money for members. Uh, He is available to campaign, has agreed to campaign, and I have no doubt that he will campaign in the last 10 days. Uh, But whether he's in the state or out of state, this is another thing I think that the media focuses on because the Democrats are so good at uh, twisting uh, some of the facts. Being out of the state doesn't stop the Democrats from cooperating or passing reforms. And they love to point the finger at the governor they got the votes. If you've got a reform agenda that you like, pass it. Do it. The governor could be on the moon. But if, if, you, if you don't do anything and you don't pass any bills, you can't blame the governor because he's uh, not in, the, not in the, the world. To wrap up, because you're in politics, you're naturally also in comedy. Please welcome a very funny guy, a good friend of mine, Mr. John Brandick. You're a stand-up comic. 
I am. I competed when I was 38. I'm 62 now for the funniest lawyer in the New York contest. I went to the finals. I was the runner-up. I am the reigning funniest lawyer in New Jersey. She says, are you ready for your ethics training? I said, I am. She goes, rule number one, you cannot take cash in envelope. I said, I never take an envelope. <laughs> I've held that title for 20 years. I'm the Muhammad Ali of the bar in terms of comedy. No one will dare come in the ring with me. I'll be opening at the Stress Factory November 10th in New Brunswick. I noticed this gig is strategically placed after the election. Well, that's true because I'll need a two-day recovery period, uh, but I have been writing comedy for the past uh, two months, getting ready uh, for this event. Comedy on the eve of a general election is a risky proposition. All comedy is a risky proposition because, especially today, you're under the microscope as, as a politician, and it is not easy to be a candidate because you, you could say anything by mistake. And when you're doing comedy, the risk is really great, but it's worth the risk. And I do more like a Seinfeld comedy or a George Carlin comedy. Comedy was observational comedy. And anytime you want to hear it, I'm ready to come back on NYC anytime and compete. I, hey, I'll tell you what you should do. Get the funniest lawyer in New York, the funniest lawyer in Pennsylvania. I will take them apart. What is the funniest lawyer? Is this like the least painful dentist? I mean, what? Well, the competition is light. There's no question about it. I know it's just before a general election, but uh, can we hear a joke about the, the 2016 presidential race? Oh, no. I, I'm very careful not to talk about, uh, but I did think that on Saturday Night Live that Larry David did a tremendous impression of Bernie Sanders. I thought he was just terrific. But we're talking about comedy. I talk about road signs in New Jersey and signs such as the speed check by helicopter. Yeah, I've been driving 45 years, never pulled over by helicopter. I did see a UFO in Metuchen last week, which I assume had something to do with the fact that I was going 37 in a 25. Uh, and I see, you know, I see signs all the time. Now they all rhyme. You notice that all the signs rhyme, like you "no know, before you go, click it or ticket, uh, pay the cash if you throw the trash." Now we got a poet in Trenton writing uh, road signs, which and he's on a pension too, which I think is a problem. And you guys, even the way uh, NYC talks, it's always really soft. Everyone's really comfortable when they're speaking, and it's never rushed. That's NYC. This is John Bramnick reporting. He's here all week. John Bramnick, please tip your bartender. State Assembly Minority Leader John Bramnick, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. The Christie Tracker Podcast is a production of WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, thanks to associate producer Joseph Capriglione. Our theme music is by 29-Hour Music People. You can subscribe to the Christy Tracker podcast on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and follow Matt Katz at MattKatz00. That's Matt, K-A-T-Z. I'm David First, and we'll wrap it up today with some thoughts on parenting from the governor and Mary Pat Christie. Here they are on Fox News talking about their different roles with the kids. She's judge and jury. I'm executioner. That's the way we'll kind of He doesn't work. sway. They can't talk you out of Yeah, things. they don't talk me out of things. They will at times just badger her into giving in. And they know that if they badger me, I won't give in. In fact, it makes me go the opposite way.